Well, let's start getting going. Yeah, my name is Drew. Um, I'm one of the campus pastors with Focus. Um, I feel very honored to be able to talk to you guys today. Um, this is, I think, going to be my first time uh, giving a sermon at a church. And I, yeah, I think that's just really cool and exciting that I get to you know, continue this sermon series we've been having on friendship. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to pray real quick. Ooh, do not hit my pocket. I will not do that. Uh, all right. Lord, I pray that you speak through me today um, and really that these people can um, just hear what you want to say to them, that um, we can have diversity in our friendships, that we can love people really well and get to know them really well. Um, and that, yeah, our friendships are really honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let's hope that that little static stuff is happening more. Yeah, Never mind. Sam's fixing it. I will project very loudly until he does that. Um, yeah, so this sermon series is going to be, or not sermon series, this sermon is going to be on making friends with people who are different than you. It started out basically being uh, making friends with like people who are single or married, you know, across those lines or across like age gaps and stuff. But eventually it's sort of morphed into just this broader topic of just becoming friends with people who are really different than you. And so that might be, you know, they're a different race than you, they're a different ethnicity, they're a different... Uh, they have different beliefs than you. They're a different age than you. They are a different marital status than you. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on um, how many, like, differences we can have within our friendships. So hopefully I can address some of that stuff here. But, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the most exciting and essential things as a Christian. I think it's something really, really cool that we get to do and participate in as part of our faith. Um, we see God as a God who is... Uh, he's a lord of a scandalous inclusion. I stole that line from somewhere. I don't remember where, but I really like it that God is a God of scandalous inclusion, and we get to actually go and follow in his footsteps and do that in our friendships and our relationships that we have, that we get to have uh, friendships with all sorts of people and be super inclusive in that, and that should be a big part of our faith is just incorporating all these relationships with people with different outlooks and economic statuses and all that kind of stuff. And so this sermon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give practicals when I can, but it's kind of hard to give practicals because uh, as we're meeting people who are really different than us, there's obviously going to be a lot of uh, differences on how we have to do that and how we go about it and the context which we're doing that in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I think, at least for me, that if I'm really passionate about something, if I really have a drive for something, I wonder if I go like behind my shoulder? Is that better? We'll see. Um, if you really have a passion or drive for something, it is not better. We'll see. Um, then you're going you're gonna to figure out the practicals. You're going to figure out how to make it work. You're going to keep going and keep pushing forward. Like if you are getting into a new hobby that you're really excited about, if you don't know anything about that hobby, like I've been trying to get into volleyball, which is a really weird thing and really random, but like I'm trying to get into volleyball and I know nothing about it. And so I'm like researching it, looking into it. I bought the equipment. I'm like getting into it. Um, and I'm like super excited, but since I'm passionate about it, I, I don't need all the step-by-step -step instructions yet. I'll go figure that out. And so I think that should be the way it is with our relationships and our friendships. If we're really passionate about having diversity in our friendships and having friends with people who are different than us, we'll figure out the step-by-step -step ways to make that happen over time. Because that's, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to problem solve until we figure it out. So I'll give practicals as I can, but like hopefully... I can just instill some vision and passion for you guys in just creating that as part of your friendships. Um, and so that you guys can go and figure out and like resource one another to figure out really what that's going to look like. But that said, okay, okay, here we go. Uh, I guess I can take this off now. My first point is going to be just 
We need to be people who delight in differences. We need to be people who delight in differences. And I think that is something that, like, we see in the Christian faith and honestly in life in general a lot. That's just kind of a given. Like, in our society now, I think in a lot of ways, thanks to Christian culture and influence, that has become a norm that we all, like, generally assent to, like, yes, we should all delight in having differences in our friendships and our relationships. That's something to be celebrated. But... You know, and we have this idea of like, yeah, if we have all these friends that look just like us, we're going to have a bit of an echo chamber in terms of our lives. And we're going to create this, this thing that we keep getting the same info back, and that's not going to be healthy for us. So that we should go make friends with people who are very not like us. And although I like, for me, I'm like, I totally mentally assent to that. I totally agree with it. A lot of times I don't actually do a great job with that in practice. And I think that's because I see all these differences, and it could be... I don't know, people with different like attitudes or lifestyles or they're in a different life stage than I am. And I see all those things. And instead of seeing them in a, in a good light, I see them as barriers. I see them as ways that's going to make it harder for me to be friends with these people. And it's not that I dislike all those differences about them. It's just I'm like, oh, gosh, how do I overcome this? But I think if we kind of shift our mindsets into delighting in those differences, it changes. It's not... It's no longer these like obstacles that we have to get over, but it's, it's exciting. We get to learn how to relate to someone in a really new way. We get to learn a new person. We get to learn all their, all their differences, and we get to learn how to embrace that. And it can be really, really exciting and fun. And when you do that, it changes differences into opportunities instead of obstacles. You know, you, it, these things aren't like these barriers to get over, and you have to figure out how the heck am I going to get over it. They're, they're now opportunities. You get to really learn stuff from them. Um, this is really weird, but I stumbled across Bill Nye's TikTok the other day, uh, which is a really weird s- statement to say. But uh, he has this little tagline in there that he used to talk about in his show that I, you know, I would watch in school all the time, which is, everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. And I'm like, oh, I love that. That's such a good little quote. Everyone you will ever meet will know something you don't. And I think that's the attitude we should strive to have in our friendships, that everyone I'm ever going to meet is going to have some sort of different perspective than I have than I do. And that's going to be really valuable for me. That's going to be amazing for me to have in my life. And so I think that we can learn so much from people, whether they be Christian or not, whether they joke like us or not, whether they have the same hobbies or interests as us or not, or if they're the same age as us or not. And when our mindset shifts around this, yeah, it's just something you become very excited about. And I think that's one of the most amazing things that God is building. He's building this multi-ethnic, multicultural family, and we get to be part of that, and we get to like bring people into that. And I think that's one of the reasons that the one of the metaphors that's used for the church so much is this body metaphor. It's basically saying like, yeah, all these different parts of the body are gonna be different. They all have different functions, and that is an amazing, wonderful thing. And so if we had a body of believers that's only made up of pinky toes, it's just not going to get very far, right? Like, we don't want that. And Darby recently talked at TNF, uh, yeah, this last Thursday, on just this idea of, like, if, if our community, like, if everyone in our community looked like I do, that would be a really bad community. Like, we would just have so many things that aren't getting done and so many problems. And luckily, we have diversity and, you know, people being in these different spots all over the place. That's something really cool that God is doing. And I think... For us, you know, one of the big areas this can apply to is making friends with people with different beliefs or opinions than us. And so this can be political beliefs. It can be beliefs about how one should live their life, you know, like what the good life is. It can even be different beliefs about what is right and wrong, which, you know, is honestly the underlying debate uh, beneath a lot of this politics stuff anyways. 
But yeah, I think with, when I was thinking about this, what came to mind is my friendship with Preston. And some of you guys might know Preston, some of the college students might, some of you might not. <laughs> Joseph's like, yeah, I love Preston. He is awesome. He's a really great friend of mine. But we are very, very different when it comes to a lot of things. And especially when it comes to anything around like, I don't know, what, how we think Christ should interact with politics slash like, I don't know, just beliefs in general about what the Christian walk should look like. Um, and I think we've come a lot closer over the time with that. But, man, to start, that was like we were very, very opposite ends of the spectrum. and We butted heads a lot. But I think that friendship has helped me grow more than almost any of my other friendships because of that, like, iron sharpens iron kind of thing, that we would butt heads on stuff. But it would help us both see the flaws in our own thinking. We would go, oh, gosh, like, you're right. You are pointing out this thing that I have never thought about before, and that was a total blind spot for me, and I need to think deeper about that. And then, you know, I could do that for him. He could do that for me. And it made us both look a lot more like Christ through that friendship and through these, like, different opinions that we would have that come together. Kind of is like what Garrett always talks about. He, He does that whole thing where he's like, okay, what's it feel like to be wrong? And everyone's like, oh, embarrassing or whatever. And then he's like, no, that's what it feels like to find out you're wrong. Being wrong feels exactly the same as being right until you find out about it. Because you just don't know. It's a blind spot kind of thing. And I think that's what these friendships can do. They can reveal these blind spots. They can reveal where we're wrong in our thinking. And if we don't have friends like that in our lives, we are totally missing out. And we're missing out on a huge way we can start looking more like Christ. And so, yeah, something to be asking yourself is like, if I don't have friends that have wildly different beliefs than I do on stuff, like, okay, what am I doing? Like, I need to, I need to start making these friendships because they are going to help me look more like Christ. And that is going to be something very, very valuable to us. Um, and it, you know, we've got to be willing to make these things, uh, these like differences in belief and whatnot, obviously, again, opportunities and not obstacles. Those things could get in the way. That could have been something that me, made me and Preston not be able to be friends at all. But instead, we both were able to capitalize on that and make it into something that was really, really helpful for both of us. And now we have just such a great friendship, and I think we're just better people because of it. But yeah, I think delighting and differences can go a lot beyond just beliefs on politics or life or anything like that. I think it's especially relevant in friendships with people who aren't religious. It's kind of where this like sermon series is moving, right? It's like talking about friendships in the workplace or at school with people who aren't uh, in the church. They aren't uh, particularly, particularly religious. And I think while there's some of us who do a pretty good job of like maintaining those friendships and building them, I think there's actually a lot of us that really live in a Christian bubble. We live in a little bit of a Christian ghetto where it would be hard of a hard for us to name five friends that aren't Christian. And really, I mean, I get why that happens. I think it comes out of this healthy desire for having good, healthy Christian friendships. And I think the model that Jesus gives us is he kind of shows us that our inner circle should be these Christian fellow believers. That's his like 12 disciples, right? These guys that he's on mission with, that he's going and teaching them about himself and teaching them about God, and they're on board with what's going on there. And so they're tracking with him. That's his inner circle. But outside of that, man, he interacts with so many people who are just in various places with their pursuit of Jesus and pursuit of God in general. And he's not at all like making barriers or closing that off to people. And so he sets this example for us of having an inner circle of of friends that are, you know, strong believers who I can influence a lot and they can influence me a lot. And we can have this mutual thing that we're both like pushing each other forward. But outside of that, we should have tons of friends that are not Christian, that are not in the church. That's the model that Jesus gives us. There's a quote that says basically, 
In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Like he's always on the, on the road. He's always going to all these things, meeting people, engaging them, with, engaging them where they're at. And just like, you know, you have all these accusations of, man, this, this Jesus guy, he's always hanging out with all these sinners and whatnot. Like what is he doing? And that was like the main thing. They, they think he's a drunkard and stuff because of how much he hung out with people who are like not the religious type, um, which I think sets us a really cool example. Um, and yeah, I think these friendships that we can build with people outside of the church are really great opportunities. One, that we might be able to give them a glimpse of Jesus, but two, that we can also learn a lot from them. They can also be just really fun, exciting people to hang out with, but also they'll make you think deeper about your faith. A lot of friends that I've had who haven't been Christian, they will ask questions and say things that I've never thought about before because I've just, you know, lived in my Christian bubble and I've never thought, oh gosh, like, that is such a good question that I've never even thought to ask about God. Like, I've never even encountered that thought. And so they can really spur us on to actually developing our relationship with God a lot. And we get to go, you know, be a great model for them. And we can also just enjoy spending time with them. But it might take some adapting on our part. Um, that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To win the weak, I became weak to win, or to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that all, by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings." So he's willing to adapt in order to overcome these differences and actually bridge and build bridges to, you know, have this diverse set of people and reach them for the gospel and also just to be friends with them. But I do think I need to put a little bit of like a caveat here because I think it would have never crossed Paul's mind that he would somehow cut out Jesus in those relationships, that Jesus wouldn't be part of them at all, because that is such an essential part of who Paul was. Like, that is who, an essential part of who we should be, right? As Christians, that should be a huge, you know, the, the underlying thing of anything in our life is our relationship with Christ. And so that's going to come up naturally. It doesn't mean you have to, like, push it on people all the time and have every single conversation about it. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to hide that stuff. That's how I process the world. It's how I make decisions. It's how I see things. And so that is going to naturally come up. And I don't think Paul here is saying, like, shut that down. I became, like, totally non-Jesus follower so I could, like, reach the non-Jesus followers. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, I'm adapting to them, but I'm always a Jesus follower. And if they can't put up with me sometimes, you know, talking about how I process life and stuff through Jesus, then that might be okay. Like, it's, it's going to be a really hard friendship to maintain, but that might actually be okay. Jesus was pretty okay with people, uh, yeah, saying no to him and, and turning away if they had no interest in that, if they were so opposed to that. He was okay with it, which is really hard and I think should break our hearts, but it is, you know, part of the deal. Um, okay, for time, I'm going to skip this. I had this, I was going to talk about, like, my friendship with this guy named Jacob, and it's impossible for me to explain to you how weird it is that we're friends because it's just, we're, we're so different. But I, I think what I can say is that in these relationships with people who aren't Christian and that are, have very different beliefs than us, one of the underlying things is just learning to have a deep appreciation for other people. Um, there's this quote in a book that I've been reading. He's kind of talking about agape love. And it says something like, agape love, uh, I'm going to like paraphrase it, is a commitment to delight in one another's soul and put their needs above your own at all costs. 
And I really like that, this like commitment to delight in someone else. And I think that's what we should be doing in these friendships that we're forming, that we are committing to delight in these differences and these things that, you know, could become obstacles, but actually we could actually make into opportunities. I'm going to end each one of these little points with a little question. So my question for this one is what differences do you have the hardest time delighting in? So what differences do you have the hardest time delighting in? All right, second point. It's going to be just, this is, you know, something we've talked about in Focus a lot, but it's just not saying people's no for them. So don't say people's no for them. I think this is a huge, huge barrier that we put into place when we're making friends with people who are different than us. Um, and we see Jesus modeling this for us throughout the Gospels. He's always interacting with these people that are very different than him, and he's inviting all of them to follow him, whether it be, you know, these zealots or these tax collectors, these fishermen or Pharisees, the rich or the poor, the young or the old. He's inviting everyone, and he's letting them make the decision of whether or not to follow him and actually commit their lives to him. I mean, he went so far as to even invite himself into someone's house, which is crazy. This is like with Zacchaeus. Um, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was uh, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I'm like, dude, that is so bold. Like, to just be like, hey, I'm going to your house today. Like, just, I'm, a, I'm like, I know Zacchaeus is like, you know, he's trying to see Jesus. He's, he's maybe interested in it. But I'm like, bro, that's still wild. Like, I would not do that. I'm just like, I'm going to your house today, by the way. Um, and if I was Zacchaeus, I would not be like so thrilled. I'd be like, I got to clean. I got to fix stuff. Like, this, the Messiah is coming to my house. Like, bro, like, I would be so stressed out. Um, but we see Jesus, yeah, doing this. He's not saying people's no for them, right? He's willing to go and put himself out there, which I think is really, really exciting. And it's something that I struggle with a lot. Like, I, I, growing up, I was told, like, never be a burden to people. Never impose on them. Never, like, I don't know, just don't overstep into their lives. Be as unobtrusive as you possibly can. Like, that was my mentality growing up. And then that has made me just so, you know, fearful of people saying no to me or also, like, just imposing on someone. If I saw someone in class, I would just assume, naturally assume, like, they would not want me to talk to them. Like, they will, they'll be annoyed if I talk to them or something like that. Or, you know, they're not going to be interested in the things I'm interested in. I shouldn't even bring it up. Or I would be bothering them if I asked them to hang out. Or whatever that is. And I just had that habit. And the thing is, that saying people's no for them is a relationship killer. There's so many relationships I missed out on because I just said no for people. I didn't even give them a shot. And so I just immediately discounted a friendship with them because I just figured, yeah, we're too different or something like that. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just really easy to start doing that. It's start, start easy to start building these lines around who we can be friends with. We think, okay, like I can be friends with like these people, but anyone outside of this that's like, uh, maybe really different than me, like, man, I just can't, I can't imagine a friendship with them. And you just start building these lines, or you start thinking they would never accept my invitation. They would never want to hang out with me. And so you start creating all these lines and boundaries and kind of thinking that people are off limits. And that can totally, totally be untrue. And we're just saying people's no for them and not letting them have a shot, an opportunity. And the thing is, if they don't want to hang out, if that actually ends up being true, I'm like, 
it's okay. They can just say no. Like they are fully capable of doing that and you can move on with your life because your value is not tied to that. You can just ask them to do that kind of stuff and move on. And I think this happens a lot even within this community. We convince ourselves that people wouldn't want to be friends with us because, you know, they've already got plenty of friends or they're really busy or I don't know. They, they couldn't possibly hang out with anyone else. Um, when oftentimes that person wants to be friends with you just as much as you do. Like they're looking for new friends just as much as you are. Um, I think one of the outpourings of this is this like, we kind of call it like the transfer problem in terms of uh, our focus staff. It's something we see every single year. So like the new people show up during welcome week and they get really plugged in immediately. Like people are looking out for them. They're introducing them to their friends. They're like inviting them over to stuff. You know, they're just like really welcoming and looking out for those people because they're the people who show up and they look lost and they just kind of like look around. They're sitting in the corner alone. And so you just know, you're like, oh, that person's new. I need to go reach out to them. But the problem is we always have these transfer students come. So like for us, it's people that are transferring from a different university that also has a focused campus. And for here, it'd be like someone transferring from a different like church in our family of churches or something like that. And they show up. And the thing is, they typically know like one or two people. Like they know some people already. So they don't have that lost look. They have someone to like go talk to and stuff. But then they have this like deep desire and yearning to like, I want to meet more people. I want to make more friends. I want to like actually get more plugged into this community. And that often doesn't happen because we just have this assumption. I like totally get it. We have this assumption of like, oh, they're good. Like they don't need me. They have their friends. And so you just say no for them. And you don't even give them a shot. And you just go, oh, they're good. Like, I don't need to reach out to them. And, and they, they, wouldn't want, they wouldn't be interested anyways. They have their own friends where they're deeply desiring relationship with us. And they really want to meet us, but we're just, you know, uh, we're just looking over them and, and kind of passing that up because we think they wouldn't be interested. Um, and I think also something we do a lot is, like, we think people wouldn't have time for us. I know as a college student, I would always have this thought in my head that, like, man, if I invite that adult out to lunch with us, like, they would never want to go. Like, they're, they wouldn't want to hang out with all us college students. Like, I can't befriend that person. Like, they're married. They have a family. They have kids. Like, they wouldn't want me in their life. Like, they've got to be too busy for me. But that is so not true. Like, at least hopefully, you know, I think a lot of these adults would love to get time with you college students, and they would love to be invited to that stuff. Or, you know, the the parent would love to have another friend in their life to pour into their kid. Like, uh, you know, especially a friend that has loads of extra free time and could maybe babysit or something like that. I think that's, uh, everyone's always looking for that. But like one more p- person pouring Jesus into a family is always a good thing. That's not a burden. That's always something that's amazing. And so we just keep saying no. We think, oh, they, I couldn't possibly create a friendship with them. They, they wouldn't want that. But that is so not true. Like on the other side as adults, I think sometimes I, even even being a campus pastor, I get into this mentality of like, man, they don't want me, like, crashing the party. Like, I'm just this, like, old person. that Like, I don't know how to relate to them anymore or whatever, and they wouldn't want me there. And that is so not true. We recently asked all of our college students, or at least our uh, corfas in our leader meeting, we asked, like, okay, why is it important to go to a church other than just, like, going to focus every week? And they were basically saying, all these really great things are like, well, building these friendships, making friendships with people who are older than us and wiser than us and have more experience and can kind of guide us in our, in our way out of college and that we can build these relationships that are going to last post-college. And they quoted all these things. They're so desiring to have these friendships with people who are older than them. And sometimes we just say no. We think, oh, man, they wouldn't want, you know, they wouldn't want me crashing their party or whatever that is. And I think that's so untrue. And we've got to kind of fight these lies and not say people's no for them. 
And I think this stuff goes on outside of just the church too. Like I know for me, if I walk into a random coffee shop, I'm going to walk in and if there's someone within like a 10 year age range of me, like maybe like five years older, five years younger, in the back of my mind, at least, there's an inkling of, like, I could potentially be friends with that person. Like, if I was interested and they were interested and we, like, set up something, I could potentially be friends with them. But a lot of times, I, that doesn't even cross my mind when I see someone who's, like, 70, right? I'm like, I, I don't think, that person could be my best friend in a year. Like, they could potentially be one of my best friends ever in, like, a year. And it's so sad that I do that. And I think, you know, that's going to be different for everyone. Like, maybe age is my thing. Maybe for you, it's like, I don't know what they wear, their thoughts on uh, vaccination or how they joke or like how they spend their time, what their free time is or hobbies are, or whatever. If they're Christian or not, if they're, you know, our particular breed of Christian or not, whatever it is, we often see people as like off the table. We don't think like, oh, that person could be one of my closest friends in a couple of years, even through these really big differences, because they wouldn't want to be in like in a, in a friendship with me or whatever. And we just, you know, we draw these lines. That's so not true. Um, and like I said before, you know, if that person ends up not being interested, that's okay. It's not tied to your value. You can just, you can invite them to come to something and they say no and you're like, okay, cool. I'll try next week. Like, whatever. It's not a big deal. You have your other friends. It's great. And so my question for the end of this section is just, in what ways are you saying people's no for them? Or who do you say no for? So in what ways are you saying people's no for them? Or who do you say no for? My last section is just going to be living lives of inclusion. I think that a lot of us do a pretty good job of like having, you know, maybe acquaintance level friendships with people who are pretty different than us. We can talk to them. We can chat with them at class or at school or whatever and have a pretty easy time doing that kind of thing. But making the jump from like having these acquaintance level friendships that we can just kind of like be on good terms to actually being friends and having these people in our lives that is one of the hardest things for a lot of us. I'm not for all of us. Some of you guys do a really great job. But for some of us, that's really hard. And I think the people that do the best job with this are people who live these lives of inclusion, that their life is an open door, and they're constantly inviting people into what they're already doing. So it's, you know, they're inviting people into their hobbies. They're inviting people over to their house, into their home, or whatever that looks like. And so for some of us, that might mean we actually need to start doing something. You know, maybe all we do is just watch Netflix all day, which, hey, you can invite your friends to go watch Netflix with you. That's great. Like, whatever. Um, But yeah, sometimes it's just, it doesn't have to be this big burden of a thing. You don't have to, like, invite them to something crazy. It could be something you're just already doing. Like, for me, a lot of times it's climbing. Like, I'm trying to get in the habit of going climbing, like, two or three times a week. Me and Jaden are trying to do that a lot. And so I love inviting people into that. Like, it doesn't add anything to my schedule. It's not anything extra. And I love, like, getting to show someone the ropes of, like, how to do that. I have the potential of actually starting a really cool friendship with someone who's really different than me and, like, bonding with them over this different thing, especially people who are outside of the church. It's an easy entrance point because sometimes we count people out of, like, well, they said no to go into my small group or church, so they must not be interested in anything. And you're like, man, if you could just invite them into more parts of your life, they might actually be more interested than you think, but they're just kind of, you know, there's a barrier to entry there maybe. Um, and yeah, so it doesn't actually have to be something new or anything crazy. Uh, Darby and I are trying to start this tradition of inviting people over to have pancakes on Saturday mornings. Um, and obviously the pancakes are just like an excuse to hang out with people, but 
who can turn down like a really good pancake? I mean, that's is amazing. Um, they're certainly one of the things that will make it into the into the new heavens and earth, like without a doubt. Um, but yeah, like it's just something easy and simple. It's it's this idea of inviting people into the mundane stuff of your life, of just having an open door policy in your life. And I think that's one of the huge ways we can like bridge these gaps because our community is pretty weird with these little like one-on-one coffee shop dates. Like I love it, I do it all the time, but it is a weird concept that we like do this all the time. Like. Uh, the friend Jacob I was going to talk about earlier, I found, like, the ratio with him is, like, I basically have to hang out with him and do some sort of weird, goofy activity with him, like, five times before I can have one serious conversation with him. Like, that's just, for some reason, that's the ratio. Like, he he just does not want to have it until I've hung out with him enough, and then I can have one serious conversation. Where, like, our community, (laughs) some people, I'm like, I have to, like, have five serious conversations with them until they, like, feel comfortable, like, I don't know, doing something fun. We're like, can we, are we allowed to do this? Like, (laughs) like, yes, we can be friends with our friends. Um, Yeah, I think it's a big way that we can kind of, like, bridge that gap between people in the church and outside of the church. And I think it's related to this idea of, like, um, yeah, if you're, if you're not having fun, like, building these friendships, you're probably doing something wrong. Like, it should be something fun that's included in your life and it's part of your life and part of your lifestyle, not a huge addition or something like that. Uh, and Paul was really passionate about this. We're, we have this book club on First Corinthians that I'm in right now, and we're learning about First Corinthians 11, and towards the end of the chapter, he's addressing these problems that are going on with communion. And basically, I'll read you the message version because it's a little bit easier to pick up on like what's going on without all the context. But yeah, there's, there's these divisions happening over the Lord's Supper, so I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. It says, and then I find out that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together, and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed you would stoop to this, and I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. Paul is super upset here because basically all these wealthier people in the church are going to this, uh, what was going to be our, the Lord's Supper, which is, you know, very different than we do now, is this big meal that they would put on. And they would buy all this food and show up early because they could take the day off of work because they had the financial freedom to do that. And they would show up and have these spots and have this great, like, feast and party. And all these working class people who couldn't take off during the day, they couldn't afford a lot of uh, food. And so they would show up later and they wouldn't even be in the same room as all those rich people because they showed up so late and the room was full already. And so they would have to eat outside. And so they basically weren't able to even participate in the Lord's Supper with people. And that infuriated Paul, this idea of like, they, they were so uninclusive. They weren't inviting these people in and actually having them involved in their lives, and they're drawing these lines based on these differences, um, whether they were doing that intentionally or unintentionally. He was still so upset that he, they would possibly consider this as a thing that they would do, is not including everyone into the, their lives and their meals together. And I think that's you know, it's one of the coolest opportunities in the church we have today is not Lord's Supper stuff. We obviously do that very differently, but it's this divide that we see in the church a lot of times between like single people and married people or older people and younger people. Um, I think one of the coolest opportunities opportunities we have is bridging a lot of those gaps and including one another in uh, our lives, both inside and outside of our community. 
because it can be so, so beneficial for a young person to be welcomed into, into a healthy but not perfect family. Like, that can be amazing. They can see a family dynamic outside of what they grew up in. They can see what really godly, Jesus-loving parents look like and how to invest in kids. They can even participate in that in some sort of way. They can get time with kids. They can learn about how to relate to kids and, and raise them and that kind of thing. And that can be such an incredibly healing process for people who come from broken families, to be able to be uh, invited into someone else's life, invited into someone else's family, so they can really see what that looks like. They see what health is. They can see what what does a good father look like, and it can totally change their view of the Lord and what the Lord is like. It is such an amazing opportunity we have, and it would be so cool if that was the norm. Like, it's something I'm so passionate about, like, I, I would love if single people could have a role to play in the life of, the fam- of a family in the church. Remaining single was supposed to be this amazing lifestyle in the faith, a lifestyle that freed people up to have a lot of time to spend time ministering to other people, give them more freedom, to make radical moves in their faith, to be able to give more, and all that kind of stuff. Paul was super proud to be single, but now singleness has been something that we, like, look down upon. And I think it's a lot of ways because we've done a poor job of bridging these gaps between single people and married people. Because it's, it's a very hard to be single and actually, you know, still have lifelong friendships and commitments and feel a sense of family and bonding and community like that. And so if we want that to be different, if we want that to actually be a new way of expressing our faith, really an old way of expressing our faith, but uh, a new one to the modern day age, we've got to be good at bridging these gaps between, you know, old and young and single and married that we can invite one another into our lives, vice versa, you know, both ways that single people can invite married people over and married people can invite single people over and just live these lives of inclusion. Like that is how we break those barriers and actually Oh man, there's so many implications. I would, I would love to give like a whole talk on that because there's so many implications of how much that could bless our world if that was actually something that happened in the church. Um, and so my question at the end of this section is just, what is something in your life uh, you could invite someone into this week? So what is something in your life that you could invite someone into this week? But yeah, I just want to remind you guys of those uh, three points. It's delight in differences, Don't say people's no for them, and then live lives of inclusion. I think those are really important things for us to hold on to. And yeah, I'm basically at time, so we can move to this Q&R time. And so if you guys got questions, I'm sure they'll run around with mics here in a minute, and you guys can ask questions. Anyone? Anyone? Melissa. I cannot. I'm taking care of it. Okay, great. Well, first of all, I um, love that you address this because I think that's super important. And I really struggled with not being friends with married people when I first moved to Denton. And then I just had no friends. And when I realized that was stupid, it really changed my life forever. And I think other people's, like being friends with married women, it made me realize that they really needed friends too. So I think this is very important. And I'm glad that you talked about that. But also I think something I've been struggling with more recently is I know it's like a lot more division in our country lately, and sometimes it feels like those are superficial, like, oh, just your political beliefs or whatever, but sometimes it feels like that kind of is pitting someone against my identity. Like, who I am as a scientist isn't just a political belief. That's my job. That's my life's work. That's what I feel God has called me to do. 
And I know that some people that I've talked to who are people of color feel similarly like this is my identity and your political beliefs or your beliefs about racism is an attack on who I am. So I kind of wonder how we bridge those differences that feel a lot more personal and less like, oh, we don't have anything in common or they don't want to be my friends, but more like, I don't know how we could get past that kind of thing. That's what I've kind of been thinking about lately. So I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I have some thoughts, but you know, sometimes it's so case by case. I think it's gonna be hard to like generally address like what that looks like. But yeah, I think there is this like qualification that is like, there are some differences you cannot delight in. Like if someone's a murderer, I'm not like, oh, look at you, you're a murderer, I'm not. Like how nice, like that's not, you know, like that's obviously there's gonna be things that like actually become these these barriers and that I think in some ways, maybe not should, but yeah, they're just, they're naturally gonna happen like that. And I think having this mindset around like, okay, one, like having the security that comes from being in Christ and knowing like my identity completely comes from Christ. Like it's not in these other things. Like as much as these other things are definitely another like part of who I am. I, I always use this little like the brainstorming bubble analogy. Like a lot of times it's like me in the center and then like Jesus and my relationship with him is a bubble. Then uh, I don't know, like my hobbies are a bubble. My my uh, my background is my, a bubble. My family, my friends, you know, these are things that are attached to like the center that is me. And I think when we change that to being Jesus is the center and all of these things are attached to Jesus, it really like changes the, the, the dynamic for that. And so there's going to be things that are really hard to still like overcome in those differences. And I think that's something to be worked out with friends and like process through. And like I said, I, I can't give like specific examples because it's, you know, so broad. But I think a lot of times if we really, um, you know, change a lot of like, what is the core of our being? Who are we really at the center of the day or at the end of the day? And like, like when there are these differences that someone, it seems like they're attacking who I am. Okay. Are they attacking Jesus? And are they attacking my identity in Christ? Or are they attacking it like part of who I am and I can still be Jesus to them and love them and kind of overcome those differences? That's my best guess of an answer, but that's a really great question. It's really hard and it's very like nuanced, right? Um, but that's my best guess. Gavin. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I had a thought on it that I wanted to share. That's great. I love it. Okay, cool. Um, I feel like Jesus lived at a time when like the Romans were persecuting all of his people and people who identified with like his identity. And then also he is God. And then his own people were like persecuting him and misunderstanding his identity mm-hmm. as God. And like he talked and explained things to Nicodemus and invited him to follow. And he, like, healed the Romans, like, um, like servant and things like that and, like, honored a Roman. And so, like, these people that were literally directly against his identity, he interacted with with honor when they didn't mm-hmm. deserve it, like, very literally. And so I just, yeah, yeah like, thinking about what Jesus Dude, that was great. I like how it cut out right when you were done. Like, <laughs> like, it's over. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, he basically, like, made those into opportunities to really love them and show him show them like who he really was right yeah i think that's so good anyone else have like thoughts on that or other questions yeah because i am definitely not an expert on all of this any questions what are you're gonna have to wait for the microphone it's for the recording sorry yeah so like what do you do like when the other person really isn't like it because of your beliefs like i've had times where like, as soon as somebody I found out I was Christian, they immediately, like, just stopped wanting to have any contact with me. They didn't yeah. really give me a chance to explain myself or, like, I don't know. They didn't want to get to know me anymore after that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, like, 
the more I do like ministry, and maybe it's just the older I get, it's something that continues to break my heart more and more. It's just realizing that some people, like you can't, you can't force people to, to be friends with you. You can't force people to love you. You can't force people to love Jesus. Like they get to make their own choice. And so if they choose to like, they're like, oh, you like Jesus? I want nothing to do with you now. Like that is ultimately their choice. I, and Jesus, man, it's, oh, it's so crazy because we like to talk about like Jesus like chasing after the one and stuff like that. But so many times these people like just denied Jesus and they didn't want anything to do with him and they walked away and he didn't like go like drag them back. He said, okay, that's your choice and I'm going to honor that choice. And that is like heartbreaking. And, but it's, it's part of, I think, honoring who they are and being like, okay, like that is your choice to make and I can't do that. So if you're willing, you know, if I can have a conversation with you and be like, okay, is there, are there ways that I can like, you know, maintain this friendship with you and this relationship with you, uh, you know, even despite these differences and actually like bring that up with them and talk to them about it. And maybe it's, you know, ways you can talk to them differently or something like that. I'm like, that's great. That can be, you know, all things to all people and learning to adapt your style and stuff. But if they, if they want nothing to do with that, I think it's just a heartbreaking part of reality. People get to choose that. That's just a real bummer, but it is part of life. All right. Anything else? If not, I think it's uh, Josh is going to come up to give announcements, right? All right, thanks, y'all. Hello. Hey, um, can anybody guess how many people have filled out the cohort's mission and value survey since last Sunday? Okay, Sammy, you want to tell us? You don't. You don't know. Okay, yeah, we, it's zero. It's a, it's a solid zero since last Sunday. So let's try to do one, maybe. One person in our church. We have 17 people who filled that survey out. So dentonnorthchurch.com slash mission survey. That's just, a, it's really quick little deal to get a, I've talked about this for a few weeks now, but basically get a snapshot of how you feel like you are doing currently in like kind of the mission and vision of our church and how you're from your perspective, how our community is doing as a whole. So it's really, really helpful. And, you know, it kind of seems like mission survey kind of stuff seems important. You know, it's not like what's your favorite color or whatever. So although, you know, if we did a favorite color survey, I'm sure you guys would do it so fast. So if you want to put your favorite color in one of the comment boxes, if that makes you do it quicker, please do it. We'd love to find out what your favorite color is. So, dentnorthchurch.com slash mission survey. Please fill that out this week. The cohort is going to present those uh, results to us early next semester. So, please fill that out soon so they can have time to work through it. The pastoral cohort interest meeting is after church today. All right. Can I get a woohoo? There we go. So if you want to get a little bit of information about what the pastoral cohort is, it's a program we've had only for the past couple of years to train people and help them learn what ministry is like, church ministry is like, whether you want to do that as like a job someday or just want to be a leader in, in whatever church you're in for the rest of your life. It's a really good, cool deal, and we'll get to hear from the cohorts on what their experience has been like this year. So that is at 1245 today. So sorry, no, 1145. That was close. That was really close. 1145, so after church. 11.45 at Armadillo, just across the parking lot, okay? So we'll, you'll see a group of people together that look familiar because you just saw them here. That's the group, all right? So please come to that if you're even a little bit interested in just hearing more about the cohort. 
one thing I wanted to throw a curveball at the uh, the announcements guys or the slides guys over here is that um, so the ladies had their cool ornament exchange event yesterday, which I heard went great, um, and all of us guys were jealous. So we we're in our group me texting about what we we're gonna do, and I wanted to say if you are a man and you'd like to be in the DNC men's group me where we plan events and stuff like that, including what we're hoping to be a babes chicken dinner hangout thing. Please come talk to me or a dude you think might already be in it, and they can add you to it. That is for students, adults alike. So please join us and be in our group me and send your memes and your gifts and stuff like that. Yes, Catherine. Yes, somebody who's, who does the women's group me, who can add people to that? Oh, you can add them to it? Okay. Okay. Talk to Catherine if you want to join the women's one. So a lot of these events get talked about in those and get reminded about. So you're invited to be in that group me. It's not just for the adults, you know, or whatever. We want students and, and adults alike to be able to know about what's happening and hang out and go eat chicken together, you know what I'm saying? Exchange some ornaments together or whatever. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so the worship team is starting to get their things planned for the 2022 year. Isn't it weird to say that year? It's like, doesn't even make sense. It's like still 2019 in my brain. So Josh McGinty is putting together and Garvin are putting together a way for you to uh, express interest in helping with that team next year. So if you go to DentonNorthChurch.com slash worship, you can fill out a little form. Whether you've uh, helped in the past or you never have, please fill the form out. So no grandfathered in kind of deal. We want to know who wants to be a part of that team next year. So just please go ahead and do it. Even if you think, oh, they know. They know I want to help. Please just go fill that out. And they're going to have a meeting kind of early in next semester to get people's ideas and thoughts and, and get that uh, team together for 2022. So please do that if you're interested. And then tomorrow night is the last prayer meeting of the semester. The shepherds, Kurt and Don, have been putting that together faithfully this whole semester and even all the way back to the end of last semester. So please come to that. That's at 7 p.m. at Kurt and Leslie's house, which is 2313 Westview Trail. It's not even on my notes, I promise. I just, it came to me. So, 7 p.m., please come, pray with us. We'll pray about stuff about our church specifically and also our city, and we'll just kind of wrap up this semester, uh, and Don and Kurt have some other things planned for that. And so, uh, please join us and pray. It's also just chill. We discuss, we talk, um, and it's not just like a, you know, very serious, somber, uh, light a candle and pray for an hour and don't look at anybody in the eye kind of thing. So, Please come to that. We'd love to have you. So I'll say a, a, one last thing, too. If you would like to give a gift to help cover the cost of our church or also help contribute to the needs of our church and people in our church who have needs that come up, you can go to DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate. Easy way to give a one-time gift, and you can also set up a recurring gift if you'd like to. I'm going to say a short prayer for us, and then we can get going. Lord, thank you so much for the chance just to Uh, hear from Drew about uh, ways to be friends with people who are different than us, and thank you that you did that first, and um, we get to look to your example of how that's pretty hard to do, and yet you did it anyway. Uh, Lord, help us just to have a heart for people like you do, and um, just have uh, a love for people that uh, goes beyond our typical uh, barriers and our typical thoughts of who might be interested in hanging out with us or not, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you'd put on our hearts the people that you want us to spend time with, people who want us to invest in, people who need to be loved, people who are lonely, people who don't have good friendships, people who don't have people who really care deeply about them. 
Uh, and Lord, thanks for caring deeply about us first uh, and for being a God who loves us first before we've done anything, before we had any way to even earn that at all. Uh, you loved us anyway because it's not about earning. And thanks for being a God like that, Lord. You're so good to us. Uh, thanks for getting the chance to, for us just to come and worship you, to learn more about you. Thank you for this community, Lord. I just pray that as we uh, think about the love you have for us, that you will help us uh, figure out the right ways in our practical everyday lives how to love those people you've placed around us. You never pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.